This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, conversation about quarterbacks continues with Ben Brown. We've had Ben on the show before. Ben used to be with Pro Football Focus. He's now with Sumer Sports, where Eric Eager, Thomas Dimitrov are. Uh, We've had Eric on the show many times. Ben joins us courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. So I had, Ben, somebody tweet me um, that essentially said it's just amazing the varied opinions on you know all of these quarterbacks you know one guy loves Drake May the next guy can't stand him doesn't think he's a first round pick Um, what do you make of just this time of year and all of the you know different opinions it's usually quarterback you know specific because this is a draft with three of them at the top of the draft. It's in our market, you know, a number two pick overall with a need at quarterback. But what do you think about just this time of year and all of the wild, you know, kind of swing opinions that you get on all these guys? Yeah, definitely, Kevin. And thanks for having me on. I would say, you know, kind of like you said, especially so early on, we're like 60 days out from the draft. Like, to me, it's, it's, it's a lot of noise, I would say. I do think in some ways we get some measurable information kind of coming out of the combine and stuff, but this is very much a spot where it seems like people want to take polarized opinions on things to make headlines. And I don't really put, I would say a ton of stock in some of the, 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 the eye catching or headline grabbing type quotes that are coming out for any individual quarterback. I do think, you know, even going back to like last year and like the Trevor Lawrence, you know, draft class, like you are going to find some, you know, difficulties and some tough evaluations with certain players in certain spots, depending on what sort of plays you look at from them. But overall, you know, I, I think especially in this draft class, like there are a lot of guys that are going to be near the top of the draft and very much belong there. And there are going to be some warts and things. And obviously this process is meant to kind of pick apart some of those things. But overall, I, I would be absolutely shocked to see, you know, things like Drake may kind of fall out of the first round or him not really belonging, you know, with this upper echelon quarterback class you know draft prospects i would say coming up here all right i i want i i'm gonna believe your headline um you've been watching these guys very closely what would be your headline grabber on the quarterbacks that you feel confident in yeah to me i i think you when we've been looking at quarterback play this is a spot where you know obviously at sumer sports and pff you know previously like 
you have to hit right the quarterback evaluations and you have to get it right. And some of the stats that people look at, I, I don't think necessarily matter. And I think when we use some of these terms of, you know, air arm strength, you know, air accuracy, those sorts of things, like they just don't, I would say, translate really well to a data-driven type approach. So to me, I think the one spot you really want to look at and, and has really kind of held value from college to pro projections has been, I would say the rate in which a guy is pressured and the amount of stacks that are actually converted when those pressure type situations happen. And I do think that when you look at those sorts of things, like that is the spot where, you know, guys like Jada Daniels and Caleb Williams in a lot of ways do get knocked and Drake may hasn't been really good either. So I think overall, you know, if you wanted to have a headline that a lot of these guys are overvalued in comparison to previous draft classes, I think you have to start and end with the conversation of how they've converted from a pressure to stack sort of situation and how they all three kind of live at the top of that range. And I think that speaks to maybe a little bit more difficulty at the NFL level for all these guys and what people are kind of currently projecting right now. So explain to everybody why, first of all, explain to everybody what that measurement is in layman's terms and then why you think it's so important and so transferable to the next level. Yeah, I, I, you know, so basically, you know, the, the rate in which a, a player takes a, a, a sack under pressure, like obviously, you know, pressure type situations come from a breakdown and, you know, of pass blocking and other situations. But the ways in which guys can kind of circumvent that has shown to be relatively stable from the college to pro game, because in a lot of ways, it's not really scheme driven. And, and in some ways, it is very much like a talent descriptive that for how well they can perform under pressure and I think it matters so much because the ability to avoid negative plays is only something that we're really starting to understand at the quarterback position and really try and really starting to show that you know a quarterback does control the rate in which he is sacked in a lot of situations obviously those pass blocking type breakdowns do happen but a guy that can alleviate that and at least turn a highly negative play into a zero, you know, overall EPA play or just a neutral play on like a throwaway type situation. That's going to really, I would say, keep offenses in check. And I would say keep them balanced to the point where they can have sustainable long-term drives. And I think that's why it translates so well. And I also think, you know, in a lot of ways it's mattered more recently because of the evolution of like the two high defensive looks and the fact that teams are trying to, in a lot of ways, take the top off the de- take the top off the defense in in a much different way, and that hasn't necessarily happened as much in the, over the past couple of seasons. So you do need to be more methodical, and to be more methodical, you have to kind of avoid some of those highly negative type plays because you aren't going to convert, you know, the third and long or the third and twelve type situations after taking a sack on second down. And I think that's the reason why. The, the, the avoidance of the negative play is the real reason why it's kind of held and really been a successful trait to kind of hold dear to, especially in the current evolution of NFL defenses. Is it important to have context around that from this perspective? Um, the quarterback that is taking these pressure to have high uh, pressure to sack percentages because of processing versus playmaking. Meaning, you know, when you watch certain players, they'll end up taking sacks, but it's because they're trying to make a play. And by the way, sometimes these sacks, and I've measured, I've mentioned this to Eric in the, in the past, and he said that these numbers actually don't get excluded from the overall sack totals. But you'll see, you know, an escape of pressure and then a run for negative one yard out of bounds, and that is actually categorized as a sack, as an example. Yep. 
you know, or you know, a, a, it's it's about to become an eight or nine yard loss in a sack. They escape, they get it almost back to the line of scrimmage, but it's a loss of a yard, and that is registered as a sack. Isn't it important that it's because of processing that they're having these numbers if they're high? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I think you bring up a really good point, and it is like the measurement in which we obtain the stat definitely matters. I think in some ways both the processing and the trying to make a play in a lot of ways and escaping the pocket, the pocket like if that leads to really highly negative play where it is like a 10 or 11 yard loss because those sorts of situations happen as well in some ways that guy can break contain and maybe turn like an 11 yard sack loss into a one yard sack loss but in some ways that can go the opposite direction right and i think quantifying that is something that you know as an analyst we're still trying to explore and in a lot of ways we probably won't get there without utilizing tracking data and using it really well with the location that the initial pressure happens and how well that quarterback moves both within the confines of the pocket and outside the pocket. Uh, but I think in some ways you are right in the fact that if a guy is just missing reads, he's not necessarily processing what the defense is giving him and really only getting through one or two reads before he has to bail out, even though the pocket was protected relatively well from a pass blocking standpoint, like that's going to be a, an immediate red flag. And the more of those plays that are happening for a guy, I, I do think he is going to be much more dramatically dinged than the guy who is just trying to make, you know, the, the, the playmaker type ability where he's trying to turn the highly negative play into just a, a short loss or something like that for sure. I don't know if you have the data available, but what percentage of the sacks that Sam Howell took this year, the 65 sacks, were more of what you just described when we were talking about processing speed versus, you know, off schedule, trying to make a play, turning a six-yard loss into a two-yard loss? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was the, the, the high. And I do think there are ways of probably – getting at the information if you do slice the data a little bit and that and that is something I can definitely look into a little further but I, I think it was a higher percentage than what the typical average starting quarterback in the NFL did last year and I think that's got to be you know the main concern with Washington Commanders fans is it wasn't necessarily the the, the inability to overcome like playmaking um, you, you know with like a faster NFL defensive front than what he was used to it did seem to be a lot more times in that secondary bucket where the processing just wasn't happening. And in some ways, maybe, you know, a better offensive line could help that. But I think overall, it's very much an indictment on the long-term outlook for Sam Howell being a a productive NFL starter in the years to come. And I think that's the reason why, you know, the commanders have to go number two overall with the quarterback selection for sure. At Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore on X. Ben Brown from Sumer Sports joining us right now. One more on that, and then I want to get to some of the quarterbacks in the draft and get more specific on Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels in particular. But, you know, one of the things that all of the PFF guys and then guys, you know, that are at Sumer, like you and Eric and others, have pointed out over and over, and it's something that I've found very interesting over the last couple of years, is that sack percentages, unlike interception percentages, typically don't improve. Interception percentages improve with time and with experience, but sack percentages don't. And therefore, if you've got a high one earlier in your early in your career, it can reflect almost a, a very damaging flaw long term. Why is that? 
Why don't quarterbacks yeah. get better at avoiding sacks or processing faster? Yeah, I, I think honestly because it's a really difficult, I would say, skill set to actually develop and and coach up in a lot of ways. Like I do think, you know, getting enough reps in some ways you can improve your arm strength. And in some ways you could probably improve your overall accuracy as well. But processing and understanding what a defense is giving you in the span of like three seconds or less is just a, is, is not only a really difficult task, but it's probably a really difficult one to model without getting a ton of like – you know, practice type reps that are almost at a live pace in a lot of ways. And I, and I think that's the, the struggle. I also think, you know, in some ways, like the overall narrative of, you know, quarterbacks probably aging a little bit more dramatically to the point where they're not, you know, they're not the escape artists that they were earlier on in their careers. I think in some ways leads to that as well. But I do think kind of going back to it and your main point is, you know, the, the processing of three seconds or less, doesn't really seem to improve. And I think overall it, it, it's not necessarily a lack of imagination on like a practice perspective, but it really is like a difficult task to actually model that out and show some improvement overall. And and we just haven't seen, I would say like quarterback classes in the off season, maybe drive home that point because we're just kind of maybe starting to understand just how impactful the sack relationship is to an overall team success, I would say. Sure. I think that's funny. Uh, well, not funny. I think it's very interesting in the last couple of years, there's been this emphasis and a lot of it by you guys on just how damaging a sack is um, to, you know, expected points added, et cetera. I mean, it, it, they are essentially drive killers uh, yeah. the significant majority of the time. By the way, as is a significant penalty, you know, a 10 yard penalty yeah. or more is is incredibly derailing. Uh, to a drive as well. So, again, we'll get to some of these players specifically, but we've got Ben Brown from Sumer Sports, formerly of PFF, um, on. You know, we're all NFL fans, and we've all learned a lot over the years. And we've all, look, one of the things we've learned is that the sack stat 10 years ago wasn't a quarterback stat, it was an offensive line st- right. you know, stat. And now we've all advanced with the help of you know a lot of different people, including guys like yourself, and understanding that it isn't necessarily an offensive line stat. We've also learned what you were talking about, that processing pre-snap, post-snap might be the most important thing. You know, more important than arm strength, more important than off schedule, although that's really important in today's NFL. But that you have to have that. My question to you is, uh, isn't that a, a very difficult thing to decipher by watching college tape, given the way that game's played versus the NFL game or not? Yeah, I, I think it is. And I, and I think it cuts down on a lot of like throws that you can use for that sort of evaluation. And I do think in some ways, like, you know, going back to it, it's it's why we've had such a difficult time in, projecting from college success to who's actually going to be successful in the NFL, because in a lot of ways it is completely different offenses. And especially with like the run and shoot, like there's a lot of reliance on the offensive coordinator getting that first read right in a lot of situations. And if that first read or second read isn't open for a guy at the college level, like he's taught to just bail and run out. And I I think that's a completely different, you know, post snap processing evaluation framework than what's asked at the NFL level, especially in like understanding the defense and and the way in which they might be disguising the coverage and when that guy is even going to be open. I, I think in a lot of ways, you just don't see 
the same evolution of a process in play because the quarterback play at the college level is just different and maybe not quite up to speed so that the, the offensive coordinators and head coaches in some ways simplify those reads. But to be successful at the NFL level, you very much have to have that skill set. And unfortunately, without some sort of like, you know, minor league type development system really taking off at the NFL level, maybe that's the UFL in the spring season. I just don't know if we're going to, we're probably going to continue to see this rift or chasm kind of get greater between the college and NFL games, especially in the ways in which an NFL quarterback needs to beat NFL defenses uh, at this point in time, given the current state of where they're at. So I, I think, you know, overall, it is really difficult, and I think it's the reason why, you know, college pro projections at the quarterback position have become in some ways, you know, more difficult, even with an influx of data and information we have available to us. I had somebody tell me like two years ago that actually the evaluation of offensive linemen now uh, because of the way the college game has evolved is actually harder than any other position because what they're being asked to do, especially in the RPO game where they're allowed three yards downfield instead of the one yard in the NFL, it's just a really hard evaluation. But anyway, um, uh, we continue. So Ben Brown joining us from Sumer Sports. So you've already said – Washington's got to go quarterback at number two. I think, you know, all of us, most of my listening audience would agree, not everybody, um, but a, but a, a large percentage would agree. So what would your board look like for Washington at two? Yeah, I, I mean, I would be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Caleb Williams is, you know, very much the odds on favorite to go number one. To me, I've, you know, maybe got against the, the, uh, the, the latest consensus on Drake May, and I do think he is going to be, uh, a, a worthwhile solution at the number two overall selection for the Washington Commanders. I think what he showed in college, kind of going back to it, like a, a better, a better, you know, sack pressure ratio than what Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels obviously offered. I think in a lot of ways he did show an ability to make every throw on the football field, and I think his overall athleticism like allows you to, in some ways have that playmaking ability, but maybe not necessarily have to rely solely on that, you know, at the quarterback position to kind of overcome those pressure type situations. So for me, you know, overall, I don't think like the, the quality of what he was working with at North Carolina was maybe as good as, you know, what Caleb Williams had, you know, at the skill positions at USC or even Jaden Daniels had LSU. But I think, you know, and maybe that's the one concern for Washington commanders fans is you are getting, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a guy similar to what Sam Howell maybe was at at the college football level. But I think Drake may have shown an ability to be better than that. And I think in a lot of ways, like um, where he's been successful, it does translate well enough to the point where if he can improve on some of the accuracy type measurements and maybe I would say, you know, get in well with a, an offensive coordinator that simplifies the game for him, at least in the first couple of seasons. I, I think overall, this is an offense that could be set up for some long-term success with him at quarterback for sure. So you would go May at number two if Caleb Williams went one? I would go May at two. I would have May still over, you know, Jaden Daniels. Obviously, like some of the testing and things might change that slightly. But for my current evaluation, I, I would, you know, I, I would be ecstatic, I think, with Drake May at number two overall. And I think that has to be the direction, you know, uh, if you end up in that situation where Caleb Williams is, is obviously got a number one overall. If some of the recent reporting turns out, and look, this week is a week of reckless speculation, rumors, right. and everything, but let's just say for whatever reason Chicago decides 
we're gonna, you know, we're gonna turn this number one into a boatload of picks over the next two years and stick with Justin Fields. Do you think there's enough difference between Caleb Williams and Drake May that it would make sense for Washington to move up one spot for, say, next year's first and this year's second? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, they, there's definitely a difference, I think. But kind of going back to maybe this discussion we've had is like the being overconfident on one particular quarterback has been really difficult to overcome. And I think you saw that last year with like the Carolina Panthers you know, going number one to Bryce Young, who was the consensus guy at the top of the draft last year. And, and there was supposed to be this huge gap between him and CJ Strong. I think very clearly, you know, after one NFL season, it, it's it's fairly obvious, if not completely obvious, that CJ Strong was, was the better quarterback. So in some ways, I just think we have an overconfidence in our quarterback evaluation that might be too much to pay up for to actually be that team that that, that has to make the, 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 the selection difference. So to me, I would probably wait based on what the compensation would have to be, but if you know the the, the Bears are you know willing to move down one spot for like a you know a, a, a somewhat fraction of the cost of what you know the you know like the Jimmy Johnson chart would have, I think that's maybe a conversation to explore. But you would have to, I would say, really trust trust the evaluators and the scouts that you have in the building, in that that is the right decision to make to be confident in that pick that Caleb Williams is so much better than Drake made because I don't know if I'm necessarily there yet. Uh, but I'm not, you know, completely familiar on the the processes and what you know Washington has in place. And I think, given the, you know, the, the 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 complete change in state of, you know, both the the head coaches and the you know the the coaching staff and like the front office, to me, it's a spot where it's going to be really difficult to be confident in that sort of process to the point where you do want to kind of go up to the number one selection. So I think overall. From where I'm sitting, I, I would rather wait and see Washington take the guy at number two than pay up and be and be that decision maker at the number one overall selection. So, is there a quarterback other than the perceived top three that you think is worthy of first round grade and even top half of the first round grade? Yeah, I I I, I do go back and forth on this. You know, obviously we talked about you know the top three, and then there's like you know you know the JJ McCarthy, the Michael. Penixes to me, when you get into that range, like you would, I would very much want to be at the back half of the first round, if not, you know, in the twenties or maybe even like you know early second round. So maybe there's a scenario where you know Washington trades back and then they have something available at like you know pick forty one or something. Uh, but but I think overall, like there's a pretty big gap between the top three guys and that next tier to the point where. If you can have one of those three guys, uh, I very much would go in that direction. Then, you know, maybe waiting, going with a different pick, or maybe even trying to trade out of that spot would be probably the only scenario where I would feel really confident in maybe getting like the the second tier of quarterbacks later on in the draft from Washington's perspective. If I said to you there is a Brock Purdy somewhere on day three, who would it be? That is a good question. I would. I want to know if there's a Kyle Shanahan on day three or not too. But I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't want to. I, I know this is going to be like a somewhat popular pick, but and he is in some ways like the opposite of you know Brock Purdy. But I think a guy like Spencer Rather has shown some <laughs> big play type ability. And I know. He's, I know he gets laughed at a lot and those sorts of things, but. I think if you were looking at where he's going to be drafted at, like there's at least a case, maybe not for Washington, uh, but I think like a team that I've been, you know, uh, uh, my fandom has kind of 
share, uh, you know, gone towards has been the Minnesota Vikings. I think with, you know, the, the, the wide receivers they have in place, like that is a spot where, you know, I think he could have some, some longer term success. Uh, I, 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 I don't think he's going to be, you know, a late round draft pick, but I think Michael Pratt, obviously he has some age considerations along with Michael Penix, but he's a guy that's graded really well from Tulane's perspective and maybe doesn't have, you know, and is a lot better, I would say, in some like the turnover-worthy type plays, interception rates, um, and those sorts of things to the point where he could be at least a bona fide candidate to maybe slot into a productive offense and engineer it with the correct offensive coordinator, I would say. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Spencer Rattler because I was just ripping off some quarterbacks' names earlier, and I, I, it's Denton and I, I think, have talked about Spencer before. I actually thought there were games – that he played in, that he really looked like a pro quarterback. But there has been this thing around Spetzer Rattler and the relationship he has in the locker room with teammates. And who knows how much of it is true. And maybe there's a maturity that came with the transfer to South Carolina. But if you're a Vikings fan, based on what we've heard, he's the opposite of Kirk Cousins in the locker room. He is. He is the opposite of Kirk Cousins. And that might be, you know, a a tough thing to – replace it and that's you know and I think that's kind of maybe going back to the initial point like those are the things that come out at this time of year and and in some ways you have to trust your evaluators and you have to trust your scouts to the point where you really understand some of these guys and hopefully he did mature obviously you know having a starting job uh, removed and get you know Caleb Williams coming in but I I think longer term he did at least flash some on-field production to the point where he would be an, an intriguing option for some teams that maybe have a pretty decent structure um, around him offensively and could potentially, I would say, um, you know, work with what he has available and, and kind of build out from like a second or third round draft pick. I think it's kind of like the one area, like if he goes in the first round, I think that's definitely an overdraft. And I do agree with you. There are some, you know, character type concerns. We'll see how well that plays out or how much more information we get on that. But uh, I think that's in some ways, a more difficult thing to quantify than what we've ever, you know, previously understood as well, I would say. So on this show, we refer to Kirk as you know who, because it's a very triggering (laughs) name for a lot of our fans, but um, I am a fan and I've been a fan going back to his days in Washington. I think he ends up in Minnesota. Where do you think he ends up? Yeah, that's definitely the favorite. Obviously there's like a little bit of, you know, contract work that needs to happen sooner rather than later because of the void years that they tacked on and in some ways the Vikings did this weird thing of almost poison pilling themselves but I think they can get something worked out um, I do think you know what's best for Kirk and what's best for Minnesota very much matches right now um, you know especially heading into this next offseason like Kirk Cousins was playing you know some of his best football we've we've ever seen which is really good and i would say maybe it's not mvp worthy but he was very much playing like a top five quarterback before going down with that achilles injury and i think this is maybe the first time i would really feel confident in saying it but i do think the vikings best long-term decision is running it back one more season with with kirk cousins because it does seem like in some ways you know their championship window is closing and, and if they don't absolutely hit it out of the park with a quarterback at the 11th overall selection uh, they could be in for some dark days here really soon. So I think from a you know risk management standpoint, having Kirk back for one more year makes too much sense. I would say for the Vikings not to try. If and that make it happens, happen. and I've got I got thirty seconds here, and I got to run, and you've been very gracious with your time. If that happens, and Justin Fields, let's just say somehow miraculously stays in Chicago, what do Pittsburgh and Atlanta do? 
Yeah, that's that's the question. I, I think I think that's when you see you know Michael Penix maybe go in the latter half of the first round of the Steelers right. or something like that. But it's another one where they're going to have to you know coach up a, a team better than the sum of their parts, and that's just not a great expectation you know for that Pittsburgh Steelers team. And I, and I think the Falcons at least have a little bit longer runway to the point where they maybe don't have to have the quarterback position completely solved this offseason. Great job. Uh, Really enjoyed catching up with you. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great show. Yep. Ben Brown from Sumer Sports, uh, formerly of PFF, at Ben underscore R underscore Brown underscore. Uh, We're going to shift gears and we're going to talk to the head coach of the WCAC champion, Paul the sixth, they beat Gonzaga last night, and they are being referred to as maybe the greatest high school basketball team in the history of this area. Uh, we'll talk to the head coach, Glenn Farello, next. Kevin Sheehan, show the Team 980 and the Team980.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. So last night, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I was at Bender Arena at AU to watch the WCAC championship game. Paul the sixth over Gonzaga, 63-51, capping off one of the greatest seasons in D.C. high school boys basketball history. The head coach of PVI is Glenn Farello. He joins us now, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. First of all, congratulations. Uh, you know, you've done it before. You had that heartbreaker and that very emotional game last year against St. John's. Um, you've coached a lot of really good teams uh, at that school. Is this the best ever? Kevin, first off, thanks for having me on. Um, this, 
This really does. I actually said it to the team last night. I think they put a stamp on their legacy. The 2012 team ran the table too. They went 21 and 0 in the WCAC and uh, and finished 35 and three. And uh, obviously, just a, a tremendous team. And that was our first go of it. So, uh, and we won in dramatic fashion uh, uh, against Damatha. Um, and it was it was uh, so that team is it ranks up there for sure. Uh, 2014 ran the table uh, in the in the playoffs and. Uh, finished 31 and six, so they have to be part of the conversation. And I've always said our 2018 team, we ended up losing uh, uh, Brandon Slater to an injury uh, right at the end of the season, and uh, that team went 18 and 0 in the regular season and, and ended up losing. They came back and won state after that, and that 2018 team was was very special. Uh, and of course, uh, the last two years uh, have been magical: 31 and five, 31 and four, winning two years ago. Last year, getting to the doorstep of, of, of the championship. So we've had a lot of great teams over the years, but uh, I think last night uh, the legacy that these guys are leaving behind is this: this, this, this is uh, the best team that we've ever had at PBI. Yeah, the, the two losses on the season. First of all, and I mentioned this earlier, not one loss in probably the country's best top-to-bottom conference, you know, consistently year in and year out. Not one game was less than double digits in final margin of victory. Last night was tight in the third quarter, and Gonzaga played you guys tough. The two losses you have are to Cooper Flag and Montverde. He's the projected 2025 number one pick in the NBA draft. And to the Boozer Twins, one of them, the projected 2026 NBA number one pick. Uh, earlier this year, uh, Columbus down in Miami. Um, those are the only two losses. By the way, I, I don't know much about either one of those two games. Columbus is the number one team in the country. You guys have been number two for a while. Uh, how close and competitive were those games? Yeah, very proud to say that the, the Mountain Verde game went down to the last minute. Uh, we were the, really the first one to challenge them all season because they've been blowing everybody out. They're, they're an amazing team. Because uh, it's not just Cooper on that team. Uh, obviously, Mount Verde's always uh, got a stacked roster, yeah. and, and they're they're amazingly coached. So yeah, that was that was a great competitive game that we lost at City of Palms in the semifinals, and um, uh, and they deserved to win. They found a way uh, to make the right plays down the stretch. Uh, and then the, the the Columbus game was also a uh, I, I believe it was a three point game with uh, about uh, two minutes left. Uh, so both very competitive games. Um, and uh, and obviously I I believe in iron sharpens iron. We're we're willing to uh, try to play the best non conference schedule possible every single season. Uh, and I think that helps us in in moments like last night when we're challenged and uh, we have to rise uh, take ourselves to the next level. And I think our kids did that last night. And uh, yeah, it, it's been a magical ride. Uh, you know, as far as um, you know the being in the league and and winning all the games by double digits uh just our defense has just been the answer all season and uh and we've been very consistent with that and then just to talk about like um you know we we put together the schedule uh especially in non-conference and playing against these great teams with the expectation that we would have you know patrick gongba with us who's uh arguably one of the best players in the country in uh uh, 611 250 uh, going to duke and so the team really rallied around uh pat and and the situation that we had to kind of, uh, you know, kind of pivoted off of uh, not having him. And, and um, uh, we, we lost him to a foot surgery in, in November. And that's what, that's what makes this even more special is the kids uh, never wavered in, in being connected and, and fighting for each other every single night. By the way, Terp fans, Derek Queen, part of that Montverde team uh, as well. Ooh, yeah, Flag. Derek Queen. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and we did not have an answer for that guy uh, that night. So, yeah, Maryland fans, be very happy uh, about Derek Queen and, and I know one guy's gonna be very happy about him uh, joining is uh, Deshaun Harris Smith, one of our one of our guys. 
Deshaun. Who really, who really has gotten better as the season's gone along? How much of your players do you get to sit there and watch every night? Because a lot of nights is game night for you too. Oh, 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 absolutely! I, I love kind of you know, tuning in uh, this year, uh, uh, being able to flip from you know Jeremy Roach at Duke to Doug McDaniel at Michigan. Um, uh, you mentioned Deshaun, and then uh, and then uh, Josh Oduro is doing great work at Providence. Uh, so, uh, yeah, those those four that you know are, are playing at the highest level uh, that we get a chance to see that they seem to be all on all the time. So yeah, it, it's nice to sit down and, and watch. Glenn Farello, the head coach of Paul VI, is joining us. So you mentioned your defense. I, I I walked away last night. It's the first time I've seen you play this year. In in years past, I've seen you play a couple of times. I don't think I've ever seen a quicker uh, and more athletic, but certainly quicker defensive team and then transition team at the high school level than your team. Am I right about that? I mean, have you had teams that have been this quick um, foot speed wise defensively? And then it's almost impossible for even a Gonzaga, who's number eight in the country, to stay in front of you defensively. It, it, It was amazing to watch. Yeah, I think so. We've always been known as a, a, a we play fast. I mean, we're one of the fastest yeah, teams in the course. country year year out. And, yeah, and uh, and so that. But what you're what you're what you're talking about there is our ability to sit down and defend, uh, keep people in front, and then help because we have the length and the athleticism and the strength to do so off the ball. And I think just the connectivity of all the guys like rotating together. It, it's it's uh it's impressive because you can have great individual defenders, but if you're not within the team, like you're flowing together. So I think these guys are able to do that, and so you, you, we kind of suffocate you in, in a lot of ways on every catch and make you take tough shots and make you earn every bucket. And I think that's what has been special about this team because they've been very consistent in doing so. Um, and, and, and we have just we can, we can switch. We have, uh, you know, there's a versatility of our guys to be able to guard all positions. I mean, last you're watching Jordan Smith, who's 6'2", and one of the toughest players in the country, and uh, he's, he's uh, rotating out and switching on their big guy. And was able to battle in the post and and uh, and and do work and uh, so they're they're just not afraid they're not afraid to to kind of get get tough and uh, we're we've always said we're a blue collar hard hat and lunch pail type team on the defensive end and um, and then we like to use our speed on the other end so it's it's a it's a great mix and it's worked for us and, and this year's I think has, has shown out to to be a, an impressive group for sure. Yeah, I want to ask you about Jordan Smith here in a moment, but I think that you know Gonzaga not having the depth last night, I think it finally just wore them down. There were some key turnovers there when it was a four and a six point game, you know, in the final three minutes, and you know you turn those into easy buckets on the other end, and it just looked like overall thirty, you know, thirty plus minutes of that level of defense just wore them out. Yeah, and that's one. That's been one of our keys all year is is, uh, is the fact that we we do play at such a pace that um, yeah. we try to wear down the other team and 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 take their legs from them in the fourth quarter. And I think that's uh, and again that's a little bit of the reason why we've uh, had double digit victories all season in in league play uh, is because we were able to stretch it out, like you said, like hey, you know, might be uh, you know within range, and then all of a sudden we go on like we we have a saying here that uh, we're a ten zero run waiting to happen, and uh, we didn't get chance to quite uh, extend it out quite like that but like, as you mentioned in that fourth quarter we had a couple spurts there uh to be able to put them away and i think it is a lot of just um our constant attacking on offense and defense that, that that is part of the plan and our guys are conditioned to do it they love it they love to play at that pace uh and then we have 
a lot of pieces coming off the bench that we can kind of interchangeable do it. And uh, so very, very fortunate to have a group that can, that wants to play that way, can play that way and then execute it. Yeah, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch Hammond, especially on both ends. But I wanted to ask you, so for for those that are just joining, and I talked about PVI earlier in the show, um, there are five seniors. Two of them are going to Duke. One of them is going to UConn. They were the national champion, might be a two-time national champion uh, by the time um, uh, Abraham gets there. And their point guard, who is going to Rhode Island, is as quick and nasty as anybody that I've watched in a while. Their their backup center, and I don't even know if I should call him a backup center, but the kid who's played a lot for you at center after you lost your big kid who's going to Duke is going to Notre Dame. These are the five seniors essentially on the team. But I want to ask you about Jordan Smith. You mentioned your 6'2 sophomore, um, who is rather athletic, Coach. Uh, just a little bit in terms of springs and quick jumper and just relentless. Is I, I think he's the number one sophomore in the country by most rankings, right? He's, he's in the top ten. He's in the top ten uh, as far as rankings go uh, in his class. So tell me about him. What kind of player is he going to become? What does he need to work on? I didn't see him sh- yeah, take so a lot of jumpers. Can he shoot it? Yeah, he can shoot it. That is one game. That is one part of his game that he's going to keep developing. You know, he's really rounded off to be a great uh, guard. Uh, we put the ball in his hands uh, to be a playmaker, uh, a shot maker for sure. Um, his mid-range game has been in the biggest improvement this year. He didn't get a really chance to showcase it last night. Um, but he has been working on that and, and is, is improving his jump shot. Uh, all the time. I, the, way, the, the most respectful thing that I can say, and, and for those in the DMV that know him, and I say this with complete respect, is he reminds me so much of Victor Oladipo at the same age. Uh, Victor was so good at DeMatha and, and was such a uh, force, uh, impactful player at both ends and just had an impact on the game all the time. And we saw Victor just grow and grow offensively on his skill set uh, to become the pro that he did. And uh, the trajectory right now is, is similar uh, in seeing that, and that's that. I can't speak highly enough of Victor, uh, and and but I, I really do believe Smitty is um, uh, that special of a player because as Victor was and and is as a human being, just a high character kid, uh, works hard, uh, coachable, and just it has a competitive spirit that is just unbelievable and maturity, basketball maturity at such a young age. So yeah, we we everyone loves Smitty. It, it, it's hard not to just uh, how he how he carries himself. And then just the way he plays on that floor, he just he gives everything he's got. And, and he didn't get a chance to play last year. He, he broke his uh, wrist the week before playoffs last year. So he didn't get a chance to participate last year in the WCSC. So this one, this one meant a lot to him. And, uh, and he certainly uh, made an impact for us uh, uh, in our run here. That, that's a really good comp, especially from sort of that high-motor, relentless competitor. You know, Gary Williams has yeah. always said that that not offering Victor Oladipo was his biggest recruiting mistake because he's like, that's exactly the kind of kid that I loved to, to coach, and for some reason um, he kind of overlooked him. You're, you're, I'd be remiss not to mention Darren Harris, who was the player of the year in the area. He's heading to Duke, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, shooting guard. Man, he, he hit some big buckets for you last night. Really smooth and can easily create his own shot, right? Yeah. Oh, and his his, his ascension as far as uh, the elite player that he's become, he's, he's been an elite shooter, I think, you know, just coming out the womb. Like, they, they, he's an amazing yeah. 
shot maker. But the way he's rounded out his game and, and just being tough and grab, he grabbed some critical rebounds yesterday, his ability to get all the way to the rim and score and contact and um, yeah, just his, he, he has grown so much. He is deserved of, of that player of the year recognition and um, has had an amazing year. And, and a lot of people uh, uh, may remember, our, you know, our five seniors uh, were on the 17 and under a peace jam uh, championship team uh, down there in Georgia this past summer. They won a national championship for team takeover and Darren had 28 points in that uh, MVP performance in that championship game. So he's done a lot of amazing work for, for us and, and he's put himself uh, in the conversation as one of the best players in the DMV history. Yeah, you've done a really good job with those team takeover players. I wanted to ask you one last thing, and I appreciate the time. You know, as someone who's a born and raised Washingtonian and loves basketball and have have watched a lot of games over the years, the ascension of your program over the last 10 to 15 years has just been amazing. I mean, what's it like for you? You know what this league used to be. It was DeMatha. You know, it was, I mean, way back in the day, schools like Mackin and Carroll were powerhouses before Mackin shut down. But St. John's and DeMatha and Gonzaga and O'Connell, and now your team has really ascended to the best team in that league and the best team in the area and a consistent top 10 team nationally. Did you think when you got there, you could build this and, and just how, you know, your thoughts on having it turned out the way it has. I think, yeah, thank you for thank you for saying so. I, uh, I am very respectful of, of, of how great basketball is in DMV. And, you know, I, I came from uh, uh, Ohio in 1993 and became an assistant at Eleanor Roosevelt. And I was an assistant there yeah. for a few years and then became the head coach. And, and I remember one of the first things I had in conversation with my kids at Roosevelt, and we had never won a state championship, said, we're going to hang a banner. Uh, we're going to go to Cole Fieldhouse. And, uh, and, we, I, you know, and everyone thought I was crazy. And I was like, well, you got to be crazy enough to like, take chances and believe. Um, and you got to do the work. And so I was really proud, prideful of, of how our Roosevelt teams uh, competed and performed. And, and, uh, and, and we were able to get that first state championship in 2002. And then when I moved over to PBI uh, in 2007, I walked in and I said, we're here to challenge, you know, the, the Mathas. Um, and uh, we want to get to that level. I mean, they were the blueprint. They were, uh, they were so good. And, and I said, this is what we want get, to get to. And, and I was really very proud of, of how we have ascended and uh, how our teams have been very consistent, uh, been being ranked in the top 20 in the, in the nation now for uh, the last 10 years. Um, and then it's just crazy for the last three years how we've taken it to a whole nother level, uh, 92 and 11 in the last three years, this group, 41 straight WCAC regular season games that we've won. Um, I just think it's, it's amazing. I, sit, I just sit back and look at this, this group and uh, uh, marvel at, at their commitment to each other. And, um, you know, I think it's our culture, uh, which says a lot about former players like Aaron Thompson, who's now an assistant coach at GW. Um, he established something uh, after we had a huge run early on uh, in 2012 with, uh, with that, those first teams that kind of started. Eric Green started the whole thing years and years ago. In 2009, we won our first state championship. Um, but just to see the, the, the growth in the program and then uh, 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 2012, 2014, uh, moving forward like this. And uh, 2013, we got a chance to beat uh, in our non-conference because we, we, we try to schedule the best. And we were able to beat Mount Vernon and Oak Hill that year, both number one teams in the country when we yeah. played them. And, and so I thought they were just kind of like skyrocketed the belief of what we could be. And right. And then so that having that faith to, to be able to come in here and compete and represent PVI. And I think our culture, the way the guys want to carry themselves, how, the pride that they have and, and wearing a Jersey and being part of this. And so going back to Aaron Thompson, who, who was amazing to kind of like make sure that we went to the next level with it. Brandon Slater followed him and 
Um, I just thought that uh, the growth of it, Jeremy Roach, Trevor Keels, Doug McDaniel, Deshaun Harris, I can keep naming like big time players that have come through here, but they all have a love for our program and, and each other. And uh, so there is that pride factor. And I thought that has shown out over the last few years and certainly with this group. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm very, very pleased with that. I've had amazing assistant coaches along the way and, and a great school here to work with. And uh, because the kids are part of bigger than, something bigger than themselves yeah. uh, here at PVI. And there's a, so there's, a, there's just a, a foundation of love and, and connectivity and relationships that, that is inherent in our, in our PVI culture as a school. Uh, it's a family atmosphere and for sure within our program. And I think that, you know, so I think there's a lot, there's a lot of Panther pride out there right now and, and, and seeing this and uh, with respect to all of the great um, DMV teams over all these years for our team and my program to be um, mentioned within that is, is very, yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you'd even yeah, bring that no. up and everyone else has. It's, 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 yeah. it's a really special thing and uh, for, for us, for sure. Congrats again. Uh, really appreciate the time. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you. Yep. Glenn Ferrello, everybody, the head coach at Paul VI, uh, just completing one of the great seasons in the history of boys basketball, high school basketball in this area. Uh, that team is loaded. All right. Uh, Sam Howe, there were some discussions over the weekend about what he could bring back in a trade. We'll get to that next. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medela. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So I'm going to get to the Sam Howe stuff uh, next hour, because I don't have enough time to um, just sort of share some thoughts on the reporting that Sam Howe could bring back a third rounder or more if he were traded. I did want to play a piece of sound for you that came from the team's, you know, website, this commander's, uh, this commander's log, um, show that they do. This was Adam Peters mic'd up at the senior bowl. Um, you're going to hear plenty of NFL, uh, coaches, executives, Joe Shane's involved in some of this back and forth. Chris Paul, Washington's, uh, guard, backup guard is down there watching his brother play. You'll hear an interaction uh, with Chris, but listen to how pumped up Adam Peters was after they landed Dan Quinn in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. How you doing, man? He's hired. Thanks, man. No, I'm fired up. He's, he's, he's a stud, man. Oh, man, I'm so fired up. He's a stud. He's a stud, man. He's a stud. 
Stud. He's a stud, man. Congrats on DQ. Thanks, man. He's a stud, huh? Yeah. Stud. He's genuine as hell. And it, it comes across great. The players are going to love it. Your building's going to be freaking awesome. Yeah. So, That's who he is. Every every single day, every interaction, man. Yeah. He's a stud. DQ's a, you know, he's a giant killer. You have an opportunity to create now. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's pretty Cool. A good hire, man. You hired a good person. Oh, man. I'm fired up. He's like 15 and 3 against the NFC East. That came up in your research? Yeah. <laughs> He's, you're going to be so fired up, man. You're going to want to play your ass off for him. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, he's a special dude, man. Yeah, I couldn't be happier, person, man. Leader of men. Yeah. And he's a good ass coach, too. Yeah. I mean, the ownership is incredible, dude. That last comment, the ownership's incredible, but you heard him. I mean, everybody coming up to him to compliment him and congratulate him on hiring Dan Quinn, and he must have said he's a stud, you know, a half dozen times. Then he told Chris Paul, you're going to love playing for him. Had the NFC East stat. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was 15-3 and against the NFC East. I guess that includes, well, can't include the two years in Dallas. Well, I guess it could. I guess it's him as a coordinator and him as a head coach, him in Seattle. I don't know. It seems like they would have played more than 18 games against the NFC East over the years. Um, But in the moment, man, he was super excited. And I think more importantly and more noteworthy, not that we didn't know this already, but the reason, one of the reasons that they became enamored of him was how many people reached out to recommend him, to say things about him that were complimentary. It was overwhelming. We heard that over and over again. Uh, and we remember we had Adam Schefter on like the day that the news broke and Schefter said that they got calls from people they weren't even anticipating calls from. Dan Quinn, beloved around the league, so highly respected. And in that moment down in Mobile, Adam Peters was fired up. We'll do some Denton news when we come back. Then we'll get to that story that broke over the weekend about a trade potentially uh, market for Sam Howell. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980, the Team980.com. We're also free and live on the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 